1: With Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney.
2: Oh yes! Caught offside, from just outside of New York City, and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and JJ Devanny. What's up, brother? How are you?
1: Uh, I'm good, Andrew. That was some weekend. That was some weekend of football.
2: Oh, aren't they all? Aren't they all? They they really
1: are. There's there's so many so many good games right now. Um, I say that. That's not true. Chelsea and Liverpool was really not worth getting up early on Saturday morning for. It was it was pretty bad. But I think Sunday redeemed all of that with an absolute throwback cracker between Arsenal and Manchester United. And we're we're recording this early in the morning, so I'm not just thinking about the games, Andrew. I'm also trying to figure out what Brian McBride did <laughs> for the US men's national team.
2: Ah, uh, what a question. I actually do. So later in the podcast, we'll talk about that because I have I guess I guess I have an answer. I don't know if it will satisfy you, but I do have the athletic reported what his job description essentially was. So I can at least tell you that. All right. So stay tuned if you're also like JJ curious for what it was Brian McBride did for the U.S. men's national team. There, um, there's
1: a there's a a a show called The Thick of It, which was about political uh, political satire in England. And uh, at one of one of he, he's firing one of the ministers, uh, this kind of spin doctor, almost Alistair Campbell style figure. And he just goes, you did nothing. You were the uh, the epitome of political mist. Mist, you're there, but you're not really.
2: And you don't do anything. Wow. Scathing, scathing right. stuff from J.J. Devaney. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. A couple US U.S. Uh, notes that and uh, Gio Reyna scored an unbelievable goal. Over the weekend as the Bundesliga returned to action, we'll talk about that or uh, more so maybe his celebration to that goal. Uh, We'll get into it. Um, Like you said, I I know Liverpool Chelsea, the result wasn't necessarily much, but uh, we will talk a little bit about that. Some of the things as this is an early Monday morning podcast, some of the things we're looking forward to this week as uh, football is going on forever. And ever. There's a lot of important matches coming up during the course of this week, which we'll uh, get you ready for as well. But let's start, JJ, with, with the high-profile fixture that was Arsenal and Manchester United on Sunday at the Emirates in North London. And it was, I mean, there was a lot of hype leading into this one, and I would say it lived up to that billing. It's got to be one of the front runners right now for match of the season as we hit the halfway point. 100% it had absolutely everything it seemed relentless it was frantic uh
1: there was goals there was mistakes uh and the fixture was relevant again which was which has not been the case for for manny's for manny's the year this yeah. felt this felt real
2: again so at the start of the game um peter drury as he as he does I mean, he's a wordsmith. He's a he brilliant, brilliant wordsmith, a, a poet of this sport, no question about it. And he kind of went into one of his, one of his poems, soliloquies. I believe uh, they're called. Sure, soliloquy. Sure, of what this, of the the great nostalgia of this fixture with these two teams, like you just said, seemingly both relevant again, uh, and sort of you know just just the joy of that. Take us through it a little bit, JJ. Be our historian here. Talk to us about the nostalgia of a of a big time Arsenal Manchester United fixture. Um,
1: I mean, obviously these are the two two of the biggest clubs in English football. Uh, they had some, some great games in the 70s, um and they had a brawl in the ninety in 1990, which was famous. But they really came together as when Peter Drury talks about nostalgia, it's for the Wenger Ferguson period so roughly 1997 until 2006 I would say that because then Arsenal fell off significantly uh I would say after that and and the rivalry dwindled a little bit as as Manchester United kind of focused on Chelsea and then and then latterly uh, uh you know Manchester City became a powerhouse but this game was the game it was the game you looked at on the calendar it had for a period of years, something happened in every single game, whether it was Keane versus Vieira, Keane versus Vieira in the tunnel, Vieira versus Neville, um, Fergie versus versus Ashley Cole and pizza and soup thrown around. Um, there was the famous Martin Keown versus Van Nistelrooy incident where Van Nistelrooy misses a late penalty to win the game and then Keown just like jumps into him and into his face and they almost bully Van Nistelrooy off the field. There's this this fixture had uh the whiff of sulfur all the time and then it went away because really arsenal went into decline and then united went into their own decline so we'll say from from 2013 to 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 this sunday that was not a game you were like ah eh. it was fine you'd watch it if you supported the clubs but it wasn't the appointment tv viewing that it was in the late 90s into the early 2000s. I mean, that was the fixture. And so it's yeah. great to have that back.
2: Yeah. Um. So if you take a look at it from basically when Wenger's tenure begins until Ferguson's tenure ends. So if we go from 96, right. 97, when Wenger joined up with Arsenal... And up through twelve thirteen when Ferguson leaves Manchester United. If you look at that, it's seventeen seasons. One of those two teams finished first. More I mean, it was usually Manchester United, but one of those two finished first 13 out of those 17 seasons, which is outstanding. Now the real period that you and Peter Drury are referring to, 97-98 through O yeah. two O three. Yeah. When of those how many years is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Of those seven years uh or I'm sorry of those six years, in five of them, United and Arsenal finished first and second that's yeah. I mean that's the window where they they owned this sport essentially they own or certainly this league um yeah you had you but you had think some of the goals in the game,
1: like you had Henri's turn and volley into the top corner against uh, barthez at at Highbury um You had brilliant, brilliant matches. And even the nil nils, there was a nil nil at Old Trafford that I went out to watch, I remember with my father. And it was, it was frantic. At the end of it, you were, it's like you've been in a wind tunnel. It was like there were tackles crashing in and they hated each other. They like, and they openly said it. We hated them. And in the, in there was a a documentary, you can find it on YouTube called, uh, that ITV did. And I think, um, It was called Keane versus Vieira, or Vieira versus Keane, about that period. And Keane used to say that in the lead-up to the game, the week of the game, his body would get sore. He could feel his body getting sore, getting ready for the hard tackles that would be put in in this game. It, it It was truly the biggest fixture in English football for a few years there, and the two best teams. And then it wasn't for a long, long time. But it felt... It'll never quite be get back to that point because of Wenger and Ferguson the characters involved Arteta and Ten Hag are just not going to be like that um although Arteta is doing a pretty good job on the sideline of uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see <laughs> exactly it'll never but, be the
2: same but it can but it's still you know who knows what kind of period we're entering into but that look, was that was great yesterday that was really great yeah and look it, it's obviously we're we're in a Manchester City universe right now where other teams will certainly enter the conversation as to being the contenders of this league, but like it will be hard for any two teams to sort of solely control this league without one of those two being Manchester city. Just that's sort of just the nature of the beast right now. And Newcastle are, are hot on their heels and the way Chelsea are spent. It just feels, I don't know. Like, I guess you could, you could look at, you know, whatever we, whatever nostalgia you view Arsenal and Manchester United. in from that period of time, Maybe in 20 years' time, it's what we'll say about what this era was between Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, You know, Rivals that aren't necessarily geographical rivals or historical rivals, but became rivals during Mm. a a set era because of just how great they were and how dominant they were over the rest of the league. I mean, JJ, during that period of time, if you you listed the top 10 players in the Premier League, how many do you think came from one of those two teams? It was probably like seven, eight of the list were were off of those two sides?
1: And a smattering at Chelsea and a smattering at Liverpool, I suppose. But otherwise, it was all from those two teams. And again, the whole league watched it. You know, they, they <laughs> who was going to win the title this year? There was going to be two teams in the running. What, what incident would happen? What late challenge? What red card? Um, what brilliant goal? And um, yeah, no, like I said, it really felt. Yeah, the nostalgia was real. I, it, the game fitted the billing you know and and i was i was at the at the black horse in brooklyn where you'd have both arsenal and manchester united supporters in there and um <laughs> it meant, it meant something to them too you, you could feel it the the um and the result as well uh is huge for arsenal it's mm. absolutely huge you can see that arsenal are further along in their development uh, the manchester united were are, are at this point under Eric ten hag which is totally to be to be expected and um arsenal you, you just have to give Arteta so much credit, and I have to give you credit. Oh, you call you called this. You said after the documentary, which I found, you know, parts of it kind of risible and funny. You said, "Nah, man, there's something about him. His players will play for him," and you you just cannot understate how that is the case. It is absolutely the case. Arteta has got this young team together. I I think it's crucial that they're young. I really do. I think Arsenal went through that period of, first of all, it was very hard for them to get top players. Uh, they were out of the Champions League, so they'd end up with your Williams and your David Luizes and all this. And it was, it, you know, guys in their 30s, just, it, it wasn't right. Even Aubameyang towards the end, it, it, you know, it wasn't working. And the focus on and the patience with the younger players, with the Nketias, with the Martinelli's, uh, the Saka's, just so important because you can mold those players you can get them to do what you want you can get them to take instruction in a way you can't with a grizzled old veteran who's heard it all before and now they are reaping the rewards it's um what arsenal have done is a it's a real examination in patience and how patience in football is probably a good idea
2: yeah although some of their fans might tell you that they had to wait longer for the for this than they would have expected. Not necessarily. I mean, look, they haven't won anything yet, but I just mean in terms of being a part, a true part of a title race. Yeah. You know, it, it's one thing to win one, but to at least have been a part of one. Arsenal have waited a while to even be a part of one. And that's something that they're not necessarily accustomed to. So yes, in the end that patience will have paid off, but I don't know that this went exactly according to plan. They had to try a lot of plans before they got to this. They plan. did,
1: but we, weirdly they were kind of forced into this, weren't they? Like, they couldn't. They didn't have the money to compete with the city. With city, they didn't have the money to compete with Liverpool. Player, uh, players didn't want to go to them, so they were forced to to be creative and and to do it the old school way. And so far, so good. I I I feel weird because I I I I still look at that squad and think, oh man. I know it's it, they've got Trossard in now and that, but you, you just don't want injuries. They cannot cannot afford injuries, but. Uh, if if you're not excited about Arsenal as an Arsenal supporter right now, this is these oh. are rare times for them.
2: Yeah, it's it's remarkable. As for this game specifically, um, look, it was a it was a fascinating game before Eddie and winner. It was probably one of the matches of the season, but then a game uh, that that was that had lived up to the hype in that way received an ending befitting. Of the hype that it was given, the 90th minute winner from Incati—a really yeah. interesting, creative goal where he sort of just has to throw his foot at, a, at the ball at a difficult angle uh, to get it past De Gea—it was it was an incredible moment. Uh, what a release of of joy from that stadium as well. Uh, Arsenal now JJ become just the fifth team to reach 50 points at the halfway mark of a 38 game Premier League season, and the only one of those previous four who have done it to not win the title. Do you know who that was? Newcastle United. Uh, no, oh, it was actually Liverpool in twenty eighteen nineteen. Oh, yeah, uh, when they finished on ninety eight points, yeah. City with ninety nine, just like ridiculous. Stuff. It's <laughs> ridiculous cr- stuff. It's, it is.
1: It is crazy. And and when we're reflecting on periods, I do think we look back at that four or five year gap between with City and Liverpool, and we would be like, what was going on there? <laughs>
2: I know the point. You're right. Like as I was going through to look at the Arsenal United history. Um, so I just kind of went year by year in the Premier League to just like re-examine where their finishes were and all that. And so I stopped with Ferguson, but I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. Let me just keep going. <laughs> and the way you see the point totals rise uh, over the latter half, like the the end of this era, basically the, the last several years, it's yeah. like it's comical <laughs> almost to see just like. You know where where what those two teams have been doing, as opposed to like you know how easily Liverpool would have been winning the league in other years, and in in this time it's just not it's just not the reality of things with with a beast like Manchester City. From this game, JJ, I mean, if we're talking about big moments, heroes, villains, stuff like that, I mean, the first name I've already said it, Eddie and Ketia. It's just it's an incredible story, um, and you know I it's funny a few. Uh, a couple months ago, I don't know, whenever it was that that Gabriel Jesus first got hurt, and Ketia, he had come in, uh, he played well right out of the gate. I think he scored in his first start uh after the Jesus injury. And I remember saying I kind of jumped to a quick conclusion after that during that pod, and I said something to the effect of, you know, they it's just a, this train just keeps rolling along. Like Jesus goes out and they don't have to worry about it because Eddie and Ketia steps in. And I remember thinking after I said it, uh, Arsenal fans might cringe at that. They might think yeah. like, ah, like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like you, you've seen, you've seen Nketi score once now this season. And like, you're ready to say that they're fine without Jesus. And I, and I thought about that afterwards. I said, ah, maybe I went too far, but here we are. Like here we are. And it hasn't let up. He's a huge reason. He's not just some, some stopgap to kind of fill in while Jesus gets healthy. He's become, he's reached a point now where I don't know how you drop him. No. I mean, like he—he's playing to that level. The only other player to score a 90th minute winner for United in the Premier League against Manchester United uh, was Henri in 2007. Incetti is now a part of that list, and it's funny because, like, I say, you know, I'm not—I'm not saying any of this to cast aspersions on the faith that Arsenal supporters had in Incetti. Arteta himself said after this game that they didn't see this coming with this guy, and it's just—it's no. just an amazing lesson, essentially. In, in this idea of you never quite know how a player is going to respond when the moment is handed to them and they don't have to be looking over their shoulder anytime they do something wrong. I mean some guys need the competition they need to be fueled by the fact that there's someone behind them who could be getting their spot and and you know for a lot of guys, that's everything but for some guys it might just be this is mine now I have the freedom and the space to kind of just play and not have to worry and for some guys the the result is is this it's what you're seeing right now with him.
1: It, it, and it's crazy too because there were conversations about oh well, and Ketty is probably going to have to move on if he wants to get football, he'll probably have to leave. You know, he's a young player, he needs to play, and and it's it's just really worked out for him right now. And Arsenal have been able to lean on those goals in a way that I mean, it's been vital for them absolutely vital. Um, and he is undroppable, it's a, it's 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 an it really is an amazing story. Um, that that. That goal as well, uh, and I think you alluded to it, it's a brilliant finish. It's a imp- brilliantly improvised finish. Um, because how many times do we see someone not get enough of a connection on that and it just dribbles to the goalkeeper? Um, or, you know, it's just a flash of the studs and you're like, oh, man. He couldn't quite adjust his body, but he could. And he found the net. There were some really good goals in this game, actually.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, there were. I mean, that was obviously the one that will will forever be remembered. Um he scored it was his second of the game. He scored Arsenals first as well to equalize. Um but I think if I if I was actually listing the best goals from this game, it probably it probably wouldn't have been an Arsenal goal, JJ. I think for me I would have gone with the goal that started the scoring. Rashford, another player who's just in Eddie and Ketia-like form right now. Uh the the goal that he scored to begin this was just I mean, it's just the kind of goal that you get from a guy who's in that kind of form, dribbling past defenders, but still being over 20 plus yards from goal and just smashing one past the keeper the way that he did. It was incredible.
1: Yeah. And I, I do think if there was a, I wouldn't like to just say there's a quintessential kind of rash for a goal, but like he does like to drive the ball through the, you know, to drive through the back of the ball, you know, get that kind of dip, that knuckle on the ball and was a great strike. Uh, in terms of the long range efforts, then Saka's goal. Uh was a that was a great strike too, but um I didn't love Lissandro Martinez on it and I didn't kind of, I know Erickson kinda of shepherds him inside, he does what he can, but the fact no one closes him, no one gets in there and, and kinda of, it's Yeah, maybe maybe I mean, sorry, go on.
2: Yeah, like your your point on Ericsson I get in, in the in the aftermath of it all. But like, it was one of those goals where you kind of just you screamed when it went in because it was just like, yeah, I don't know. There was just from that distance, from that angle. Yeah, he shepherded him inside. Maybe in hindsight, he shouldn't have done that. Sokka obviously has this in his bag. Um, But I was just like, whoa, like who who saw that coming? Like, I just I couldn't believe that he scored from that position. Uh, I think I do
1: think as well, David De Gea. He's he's made an action, a little a kind of a jump to trying to be ready, um, and it's cost him a bit, and he's slow to get down into the corner for it. But um, no, it was a great strike too. It was it was really. And and if we're talking about, I did talk about mistakes earlier in the goals. I thought Ramsdale on the Lissandro Martinez goal was was problematic. There, I mean, I think like if goalkeepers come. You have to get something on it. You've got to get it away. It can't just drop like that. And I, I actually thought Martinez did very well to to stay alive and get that ball into the net. But um, yeah, Ramsdale wouldn't have been de- wouldn't have been. I'd say he was delighted, obviously delighted when they scored the late winner because it took a little bit of pressure off him for that goal.
2: Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Um, just back to uh, you know, if we're, t- we're kind of looking at some of the heroes of this game um you know we we've talked a lot about inchetti but back to saka for a sec cuz i think he's kind of i don't know jj tell me if you agree but if if you had to assign a face to this arsenal team i suppose it would be his yes um and just the performance from him in this game which up to this point in the season you could probably say this you could say this was Arsenal's biggest match so far. Maybe the Spurs won before it, just the nature of that rivalry. But where these two teams are at, the form they were in, and Saka rising to a man-of-the-match-level occasion the way that he did. Thirteen touches in the opponent box, always a threat. Four chances created, five shots. Of course, one of the goals of the season for Arsenal so far. Um, he's a menace to go against. He is. He's kind of now... I think he's he's joined the elite in this league if we're if we're you know we've hit the halfway point, I guess we could start to think about now our our eleven of the season what it would be mm-hmm. for the first half of the season he's 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 on it he's certainly in it right now,
1: oh absolutely and again, just there was so much potential there, and we've kind of see it in little drips and drabs over the last few seasons and now he's look oh, he's. People wondered what would happen to him after the missed penalty and the Euros. You know, like this is the kind of moment where it can define a player and for it to happen to him so young, but he's really just taken everything in stride and he's absolutely he's been absolutely brilliant for Arsenal. Uh in terms of heroes though, that midfield of Odegaard, Party, and Jacka, I mean, I if you would ask me, will there be an Arsenal title challenge that features Granite jacket. I would have said probably not. If if you asked me about the great issue that Arsenal have had probably since early Wenger, which was centre backs. Like, would they find a solution? And it'd be Saliba and Gabriel. Like, they they've a lot of guys really playing outstanding football at the moment outside of 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 the the attacking uh, players as well.
2: Yeah, you're right. It's one of the things that's interesting about this team is like, it's not, it's not like they splashed on some huge name signing to, no. to sort of kickstart this. Like it was guys that, like you said, they were either patient with, um, you know, guys where the recruitment was just right, guys who have sort of progressed in just the the right way um, from, you know, within Arsenal's own ranks. Um, so, I mean, you see that. You see that all over the place for them. That's really what the this team is comprised of, which is a little bit frightening because you think that they will... It's not going to take much for them to then quickly, once again, become a destination club for big names. Um, well, we've
1: seen it already. I mean, the fact that they were... I, I do think there was some kind of economic factors that, that meant Modric did not end up there, but it, it was his preferred destination. You know, a top talent in Europe that wants to go to Arsenal... If you're winning and you're top of the table, that's just that's naturally going to follow. Um, but like Saliba on loan last season, you know, great decision to 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 recall him and have him there, and 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 not you know try and move on from him. Because I remember again, you read all the transfer rumors. He was one that was nearly going to be out the door. But it's been some it's been some great coaching from Arteta.
2: Yeah. Now, on the United side of this, I mean, we've gone through some of the heroes, which have all been Arsenal players, with the exception of Rashford. Um, some of the villains here, I mean, I'll throw in the first one. It's one that didn't play. Um, boy, there were moments in this game where I was just thinking about, oh, that Casemiro yellow card just looks a lot bigger right now. Um, hmm. That they could have used a player like that to sort of bust things up in the midfield. Um, but I agree with you.
1: and And I think we're at the point under ten hag now where you can see the limitations of some of the players he has. And you're thinking on this next path for United, this, this, this next stretch of miles as they try to, you know, do what everyone thinks they're going to do, which is United are back. You see some players that are, are not going to be on that journey. And I think guys like McTominay are probably, and and probably the goalkeeper too. Um, They won't be there.
2: Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. And then another name, um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I don't know he he had kind of he'd come back into the lineup. He was he was playing fairly well, but then in this game, he kind of he fell back on some things that I think have driven United fans crazy about him falling asleep at the back post on the first goal. Roy Keane said this about him. Uh, he said it's it's just his lack of awareness. It's as if he can't believe someone's coming around the back of him yeah. because he can see him. He just dozes off. A silly lack of concentration, considering we praise him, saying he's a good defender. Um, I mean, stuff like that. Like you say, JJ, if 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 they're back, those aren't the sort of things that you see from teams that are back. Guys falling no. asleep like that in, in a big moment in a dangerous spot on the field. Losing, the, losing sight of an attacker. Can't it, happen.
1: It reminds me of one of, uh, you know, there's some fan uh, listener interactions you have and they stick with you the email where, where I said at the start that I didn't think Juan Bissaka was, was good enough for United. And uh, this United fan just emailed me and said, you're wrong. He's he's a brilliant player. But he's, I mean, Bissaka was symptomatic of a kind of scattergun approach to transfers. Like he was the, he was the soup du jour at <laughs> at Crystal Palace. And so they went, all right, we'll put all this money into him without actually thinking about, well, what will he do off the ball? What will he do when we're in possession? structurally how will this work and it hasn't really worked and you're right he's he's going to be one of those guys that will not be fellow travelers with ten hag uh going forward you would think
2: feels like that feels like that um to close out on this section and on this game um back to arsenal we'll finish with them um look there's a lot of reasons to be surprised by what they're doing this season by their position at the table by the fact that they're only the fifth team in the Premier League era to hit 50 points halfway through it's just an incredible thing that that this team has been capable of doing that um so of, of the surprises of this team I'm, I'm wondering what are some that stand out to you most
1: um i think i'm i'm surprised at how defensively robust they are i that is because we've just what we used to say i mean the word that was associated with arsenal all the time was brittle always i think yesterday going a goal behind um having been equalized on and then being able to continue to play and keep uh patience with their style of play not to not to lose the rag and to just keep doing the right things and go and win the game that is just not been a hallmark of arsenal teams and now it is I would also say, um, I thought a few years ago that Martin Odegaard was going to just kind of slip into this, um, because of, of of the way he started his career as a as a young player. You know, all the hype. One of those guys where you'd be remember him? Oh yeah, everyone said he was going to be this. He was going to be that. I'm I'm surprised. I never thought he'd be uh, a kingpin. Are an important player at the top side that's in challenging for the title. I just thought he'd be a guy we remembered who started really young and then kind of fizzled out. And I think he's been great for Arsenal, and that surprised me.
2: Yeah. Uh, so there they go. They remain top. They remain with the uh, the cushion between them and their next challengers, which are, of course, Manchester City, who keep pace uh, with an important win over the weekend of their own. 3-0 over Wolves. Uh, so they remain in this thing, certainly. Um, what do you think? The type of uh, performance that shows maybe they receive Pep's message?
1: H- hard to say, uh, especially considering the opposition and their position in the table. But the kind of win you want, you know, basically for Man City now they have to start doing what they've become accustomed to down the stretch, ripping off those wins. And, the, and this is one of those. We know they can do it. You know they can do it. Don't leave it in any doubt. Just go out there and destroy and i suppose in terms of 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 that performance you know i mean they allowed wolves have one shot and target in the entire game um i still don't i still wonder about them a little bit in terms of um are they quite the city of old in terms you know uh chance creation things like that but i mean this game was this game was all them um and it's the you're right it's the kind of performance they just have to do build up the momentum and 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 try and eat into that arsenal uh they're in the rare situation for city where they are looking for favors that is one thing um but as long as they keep doing their job they'll uh what do
2: you mean what do you mean by that
1: well they need arsenal to slip up
2: oh okay they did they, they need a favor along well, the way well i mean they can, they, they, they play they, them twice they still have two games against them so they do, they kind of control it a little bit they do they do
1: a little bit and that will be there for arsenal um and as big a game as as that was yesterday, and it was a big game and a big win for Arsenal. Um, it will the game. You know, there's a good chance the league does come down to to those two those two meetings.
2: Um. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention with this one, obviously, Erling Holland, the story of this match, hat trick for him, uh, incredible. Another one. This is what is his fourth of the season. Just ridiculous stuff. And I referenced this the other day. That it, it is not just a creation in my mind. He had a couple matches, I guess, or was it even a couple? Was it just one where yeah. he didn't really seem to make the kind of impact on the game that we had seen from him in so many other games this season? And I'm telling you, like I'm, not, I didn't, I'm not making it up. You start to immediately see questions and doubts being raised about him, and so you know the moment I, I start to think, ah, maybe that was sort of in my head. I saw this written at Sky Sports uh, from uh, Adam Bate. He said, uh, "Pep Guardiola made the point that when Holland scores, everyone says that he's the solution, and when he does not score, everyone says that he's the problem. That is likely to be how it continues for the striker until and uh, until and unless he fires City to trophies at the end of the season. On Sunday, he was the solution. Pep sees it too. The, like, any game where he doesn't score, he's he becomes the problem. I don't, I don't quite know what the genesis of this is. I don't know why people are are drawn to do this with him." when he's been so great, if the season ends today, he'd be player of the season. I guess maybe Saka would be runner up, but uh, to me, the gap between first and second in that would would be pretty significant. He's going to shatter the Premier League's goal scoring mark, and he's going to do so probably in March of the season. Uh, I don't don't know. Is it because we're just not accustomed to seeing a player like this at this club? So for some reason, there are people who early on didn't think it could work, and so they can't wait to kind of jump back And say, see, I was right uh, at every moment where it doesn't go according to plan for for City and Pep. I I don't because I don't understand it. Why people seem to have kind of tagged this as a thing that they they want to see fail.
1: Well, the preconceived notion was that this can't work because Pep has an aversion to strikers. He doesn't believe in them. He doesn't necessarily think that they're they're needed. And the other thing is that Holland wants that earlier ball. When he's off the shoulder and he's gone, he wants that ball played. And we know City like to play an extra pass or two extra passes because Pep believes that early ball, if it's cut out, then a team breaks on you and it's chaos. And they'll score. And he doesn't want that. So it's more stylistically, can this work? Now, it obviously can work. If you have him in the right position getting on the end of of these moves, It's of course it's going to work. It's just that it changes there's there was or there was a belief that it would change the way city play and so when he doesn't score andrew and city don't win that's the focus and there was times where you're like they're not passing him the ball he's not really involved at all and i think it's more to do with what pep wants and pep's idea of just having
2: a team of midfielders you know are we sure that pep as how did you put it has an aversion to strikers (laughs) are we sure of that like he had Aguero for an for an era so he didn't have to really worry about it uh, then then Aguero sort of transitioned out of being that guy they thought maybe Gabriel Jesus was the heir apparent they they found out that he wasn't and then what happened after that okay they didn't have one but it wasn't for lack of trying they wanted Kane they were desperate for Harry Kane but Tottenham wouldn't deal with them so I don't know and then they go and get Holland. So I I don't know that I can say he has an aversion to them. I think just, he doesn't have an aversion to the best ones. I, I'm I'm
1: I'm just saying it's it, it that was more of the the thought that was that was going around, and that that has prompted people to 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 focus on Haaland when things aren't going right. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm sure Pep looks at it in a much more cerebral fashion than I'm even explaining. I'm sure if Pep, I said that no. to Pep, I'm sure if I said that to Pep, he'd just go. What are you talking about? You know, he see, He probably sees it in a totally different way. It's it's probably not just, here's a striker, here's a midfielder for him. He probably sees it on a completely different plane of understanding.
2: So, right. Like, the, like, it's the meme of Zach Galifianakis in yes. the hangover when he's counting cards at the blackjack table. Yeah, like and pie comes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Pep looking out at the
1: field. Basically, yeah, he's... He, he's processing it in a way that my tiny footballing brain cannot understand. Correct. But that, that was the prevailing thought amongst fans and some journalists when Haaland was, was bought. And there's also a feeling as well that, well, who bought Haaland? Was it, was it Pep? Was it Fern Soriano? Was it the club? Did the club want the biggest striker in the world for, for other reasons than putting the ball in the net? Well, obviously putting ball in the net, but just, to have the best players in the world at the club. Was that part of it too? You don't know.
2: Yeah. I I can't imagine them going to, let's say it wasn't a Pep signing specifically. I can't imagine them saying to Pep, Hey, we're about to bring in arguably the best striker in the world. And him saying, no, 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 I'm good. Like, I, I don't, I think maybe another guy, maybe another guy suggested it, but I don't think Pep would put up any resistance to Erling Holland being brought there, especially on a fairly reasonable price tag, considering what other guys go for. Um, so city, they keep pace. It's going to be a fight to the finish. I don't see city fading away. I think this is going to be relentless. And like we said, they got two matches against each other. Those are going to be absolute battles should be fun. Uh, another matchup that in the past, I think we would look at and say absolute battles. They've had big champions league ties against each other. They've, you know, they've battled for titles, um, or title contenders, uh, in, in most seasons. But this was, this was JJ, a very, very rare matchup mid-table meeting between Chelsea and Liverpool
1: yeah and uh I hope it stays very rare because it was it was dull it was really really bad I thought Chelsea had the better of it probably in the first half
2: Liverpool I think I, little... I think it would have helped this game a lot had that goal that Chelsea scored in the first in the in the third minute had that stood I think it would have cha- dramatically altered the complexion of this game
1: I mean the the best thing was when Mudrick came on and you kind of saw yeah what I what 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 I see in him maybe not what the stats guys see but I I thought he was great when he came on I mean that is a reason for Chelsea to be excited I think it's you know it's probably a decent point for both teams you know just a steadying result nobody wants to lose that one I I know you're making but fits, they need that mean that,
2: but they need point like it, I know, a tie I know doesn't they, really help anyone though
1: I know that I know they do. I, I, for, for me, like, watching Gakpo, I just don't... I know it's early, but it's hard to see how he fits in there. Um, Nunes comes off the bench. He has a chance where he turns and he fires it straight at the keeper. And, uh, you know, Liverpool are... They shuffled the pack a little bit. Uh, Batistic played. Um, yeah, it Trent just, didn't it, start. No, it did. It, like, none of it clicked, Andrew. Like... At halftime I was just like, "Oh, can we just call this game off? Everyone gets a point." Oh, just you got your wish. Go home early. You know, it was it was it was really poor, really really poor. Can I and, ask you um, kind
2: of a a dire question? You may. So we're getting it's a 10th versus 9th Chelsea versus Liverpool in terms oh, of where yeah. they are. Both clubs are in a worrisome state. Which one of these states do you think is more worrisome? Ooh, um, I, 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 maybe it's be-
1: just because it's me, but I, I kind of feel Liverpool. Okay. I, th- I, I, I feel like we're we're at the end of of something, and the worry is whether Klopp now can go again and rebuild a second side. And a lot of people say he didn't really do that at Dortmund. He hasn't done that anywhere. Can he build a second great Liverpool team and finish out with, with that? um and that that worries me a lot with with potter i do think they're going to give him the time i mean that team is a bit that squad's a bit of a mess like they have 72 attacking players which potter is going to have to somehow blend into a i mean talk about a, an embarrassment of riches or not they're not all riches some of them are just not working so um i suppose there's reason for concern there yeah, yeah, you said something
2: before, because I, when I, I put this question on the rundown, and I'll be honest, I, I put it down without having an answer, which is, right, I'm a okay. coward, I'm weak, I'm soft, I'm all of these things. Um, which It's why I asked you, because I was wondering if you could sway me, uh, because you know I've been not ready to, uh, what's Mark Twain's quote about death? Um, uh,
1: rumors of my death have been exa- greatly exaggerated. Sorry. Right. You rumors know that of that's, my demise.
2: Yeah, you know that's sort of the way that I, I feel about Liverpool that okay maybe this this season will be a step back. That's that's definitive. We see it. There's I don't think anything is going to happen between now and the end of the year that's going to change that. Um but I'm not ready to pronounce this era over. I, I don't know. I just um just not there yet. Uh but you said something before in reference to post Fergie United that I'm thinking about right now and and maybe you're helping me answer this question with regards to how I feel about Chelsea. You said that before when we were talking about United, um, their approach to transfers became very scattergun, and it yeah. and it just didn't work for years. Mm. <sighs> mm. Boy, I think you could look at some of Chelsea's moves over the last year and say a similar thing. That it just it just feels like they're just they're just grabbing names. Yeah. I, I don't know that there's a plan. They've changed managers. I don't know how many of these signings are were signings that the manager would have wanted. Um, I don't know. I oh, maybe that can work, but if it does, it feels like it's a little bit out of luck um, that we, the pieces we, wind up fitting.
1: We had a window into this, though. Don't forget that it wasn't. They didn't really have a sporting director. They right. had Todd. Todd Bowley was was doing a lot of this, and Todd was the one bringing names. <laughs> You know, he kept saying Cristiano Ronaldo in front of Thomas Tuchel, which drove Thomas Tuchel to to insanity. Um, so there is a sense that Chelsea were, were, were doing exactly what you were saying. They were seeing the, the big names and like, well, can we get that player? Can we get them in? Rather than thinking, well, how does he fit into the structure of what, what we want? Like, what's the vision for the club now? And it's very hard to see it at the moment. I mean, they're just... Like, even even Kukure is a very curious uh, transfer. You know,
2: he'll probably get better, but it hasn't been a great start. Um, Now, look, the one thing that has to be said about Chelsea is that what's on the field right now isn't necessarily who they are. Like, you know, they are missing, you know, but like
1: Obama Yang, like, what was that about?
2: (laughs) Agreed. Totally agree. Um, But, you know, no Reese James, no Ben Chilwell, um, no, no N'Golo Conte for almost the entire season. God, I yeah. mean, if you talk about the importance of him to that team, so you'd have to say they're probably twenty points
1: better off if N'Golo Conte is is a regular in the midfield.
2: <laughs> um, that number might be high, but <laughs> but he's he's obviously vital. I mean, I you know what I think of Ree- I think Reese James might be the best player. Yeah. Um, so having lost him for basically the entirety of the season. Um, to this point so it's it's hard to judge them exactly maybe it will all fit although when all these guys come back that i mean good lord then like again good problem i suppose for a manager to have to have a lot of good players to choose from but it is it is still potentially a problem to keep everybody in that room happy um so i don't know i just yeah they've made a lot of big moves the mudrick his first appearance was a positive one i thought uh nearly scored an incredible goal kind of weaving through the the liverpool defense but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I this guess is uh, yeah.
1: This is far too much time on on this game. L- l- let me just tell you, I know we're we're talking around the game because nothing happened in the game. But yeah, I, we're given we're given these two losers, loser clubs. Wow, no, <laughs> <laughs> well, holy giving cow, them way, too,
2: way too much time. Uh, all right, well then let's go to a, a winning club with an Everton. Oh dear, oh god, did you see the video pre-game? Yeah,
1: Lampard. Meet meeting people <laughs> he it, it reminded me of Who those
2: people exactly they're
1: supporters
2: they were how just did like, he want how do they wind up with him is this like, just a thing now that happens that it's, it's Yeri mina it's anthony gordon it's the manager where <laughs> i thought this stuff didn't happen anymore no
1: um i i thought they were cosseted by by you know security guards and there was a, there was a ring of steel around them at all times but i guess it looked like it was in a hotel Uh, In London, so I guess the team hotel or the lobby or somewhere where Frank and there's a they're just kind of saying to Lampard, oh, Frank, yeah, you know, uh, everyone's got your back. Just, you know, go out and give it everything. And he's like, yeah, yeah, terrified. I don't think he blinked
2: once during the entire interaction. Didn't. And I mean, the people were being very kind to
1: him. None of these. I will say this. None of those confrontations have been really nasty. They've been, if anything, they've, they've been impassioned. But they've been mostly kind. The Everton fans have been mostly kind, and it, I there's a part to me that is very much: we cannot be at a point in in football where a manager running into fans or p- a player running into fans in in ordinary in the ordinary world should be seen as this bad awful thing. How have we let this happen? That they'd be seen by regular people with jobs, people who maybe only earn thirty five thousand a year how can how can this situation have come to pass like i do I do think there's a i find it weird I think people need to, these are humans talking to other humans, you know, but frank frank did not see it that way, but I thought I think you're right,
2: about- but I just find it weird that I mean that happened right before morning of the match, right. Yeah, but like
1: if they know where they like those are traveling supporters. Yeah. And they I guess they know they're in the area, they know where the team hotel is, and they let's be honest, Everton supporters are now in in, in the same frame of mind they were last uh, April, Andrew. They are fully sure that barring some kind of miracle, their team is going down. So they can't they're remember remember all the they they kind of did this. Every time, um, and I think Ped from Toffee TV talked about this on Friday's podcast, where, you know, they'd all show up before a game with the flares, they'd welcome the bus oh, into yeah, the stadium. Of they're, they're doing whatever they can, and if that means meeting Frank Lappert at his hotel, they'll do it.
2: Well, they did, and Frank, I wouldn't say that he, he didn't seem scared. Like, I, I don't want to paint it like that. He just I think he looked terrified, yeah. I, I think he just looked like, in his head, he's he's thinking the whole time, like "Don't say the wrong thing. Don't say the wrong thing. Be polite. Don't say the wrong thing." Like that's just kind of what it looked like. As he, I don't know that he was even hearing them. He might have just been hearing his own inner monologue during that interaction. You mentioned Ped. Um, for anybody who out there who hasn't who didn't listen to our podcast, uh, when was it? Late last week, last Thursday, Friday, Friday morning. Yeah, we did it in the club with Ped from Toffee TV. It was really good. If you're an Everton supporter, it's a must listen. I would say even if you're not, it's an interesting glimpse at where ever where an Everton fan is with this team right now. And the one thing that he said that really stuck out to me is, um, you know, his realization coming into the season of where are the goals going to come from. Yeah, who who are the guys on this team? And he's right. We earmarked that as well. And JJ, they've scored 15 goals in 20 games. Oh, like. God. Whatever the, the prophecy was that this team doesn't have goal scorers, like they they have not received the kind of surprise that Arsenal have with Eddie and Ketia. No one has stepped up. The player that people thought might in Anthony Gordon has not. It will forever, it will forever remain a mystery to me how his price tag and how how his valuation prior to the season rose to the level that it did. Um and and even more of a mystery is how Everton decided to hang on to him with his price tag rising at that level i don't know maybe they thought he was ready to become that guy but he's not uh calvert lewin just can't quite stay healthy and even when he is is he an elite goal scorer not not to me um boy I, i don't i don't see it i don't see it changing uh they're gonna have to win a lot of one nils to make this work they got shut out again over the weekend by West Ham, who have been poor in their own right. They've only scored yeah. 17 goals this season, only a couple more than Everton. So it's not like they, they've they been tearing it up either. Um, it's just I, Everton. I don't know who the teams are out there that they're going to be beating to get back into this thing.
1: If you looked at West Ham Twitter after the game, like nothing changed for them. They expected to win because Everton were so poor. Um and for Lampard made made a lot about the fact, well, we had 60-something percent of the possession. We kept the ball, and they then they looked to catch us on the break. I mean, what did you think West Ham were going to do? They know you can't do anything with the ball, so they'll just let you have it and then pick you off, and that's exactly what happened. And Everton, they... I mean, they had that one ball to the back post, and I think it was... Who was it trying to stretch and get a foot on it? But generally speaking, Andrew, they couldn't create anything. Never mind... Oh, there's nobody to finish the chances. Didn't create anything. Um, now Lampard said in his post-match comments how vital it is that the club step up and bring bring players in. Now there's talk of Danjuma joining. Um, it, these next couple of weeks, Andrew, are vital because the only way out of this is to is to is to pull some rabbits out of hats in terms of signings. And they and because that squad itself is going down. So what can they get done? What can they change? Who can they bring in? Who can they convince to come for, for four or five months? I'm even talking loans. What whatever oh, sure. because Ped did talk about the financial state of things too. Um but they need something, any kind of spark. This is this is truly, truly dire. And they are they are so bad. So bad.
2: Yeah. Anything else from the weekend that you wanted to uh you wanted to mention here before you I move just, on?
1: Uh I just want to say that Matoma is an amazing player and his goal for Brighton was absolutely class. Uh have we been sleeping on him? As the kids say. He's he's brilliant, Andrew. He's absolutely brilliant, and he's Brighton, you, you just want to tune in and watch them. And and Evan Ferguson again, talking about Irish players going in the Premier League. We we talked a few weeks back on the on the Mailbag podcast about what's wrong with Irish soccer. And to see Evan Ferguson doing what he's doing right now, that header to save a point against Leicester, just brilliant. Um, Brighton are, Brighton, they have been for under Potter. Dejerbi too. They're just great to watch. They're so, they're so much fun.
2: Yeah. 2-2. They would have liked to have, I'm sure, beaten a Leicester City side who aren't that great right now. Um, But it's a point. kind of keeps them sort of in the background of, of a race for top four um newcastle dropping points jj i mean yeah against crystal palace those are they they tie nil nil but it's an important couple points dropped for a team that's going to be fighting for top four for the remainder of the season as well
1: yeah and it's a good it's a good result for crystal palace i think because they wanted to after taking a you know having a good result against united they wanted to kind of keep that going Try and find some stability, and uh, that was a good performance. Uh, or it's a good point against Newcastle as well. A lot of a lot of journalists saying Newcastle look jaded, and maybe we're seeing the the squad being stretched. So be interesting to see if they have the the capability with financial fair play to to make any moves before the end of the window.
2: We'll see. Uh, let's see a few other things that we want to mention before getting out here on this Monday morning. Um, so the Bundesliga returned to action. Uh, Borussia Dortmund a thrilling four three win. They get a late winner from Gio Reyna. JJ, what a goal he scored! Um, and you know, it's interesting because only a few months ago, if he scores that same goal, my feelings about it, I can't help it. They're different than how I felt. I'm still like everyone who has the stink of like the whole Reina Bearhalter mess attached to them which obviously Gio does it's just hard for me to like get excited about that guy right now um and so i don't know it just i couldn't get quite as excited about that goal as as i would have you know just before all this had happened, I still kind of look at him. I'm still in that moment where I kind of look at him a little bit differently. Having said that, it was a great goal, and American fans should look at it and be excited about what he can do. Now, the thing that I wanted to talk about with it wasn't the goal itself; it was the celebration afterwards. Yeah, so he he scores the goal, and he runs to the corner, and he's got his fingers in his ears, and he's it is essentially he's doing the Memphis to Pie celebration. Which is not a coincidence. After you remember Greg Bearhalter noting that the U.S. doesn't have players scoring goals in the Champions League like Memphis Depay, that was the quote that he had said. Um, huh. Obviously, uh, you know U.S. Soccer Twitter had a lot of thoughts on it. Um, U.S. Soccer Twitter tends to lean very strongly anti Bearhalter, so anything that you know yes. that would obviously make it more pro Reina. Um, and so this, I think, in the eyes of a lot of people, was was viewed through a, a, a lens that was, wow, that's so cool! What a like, what a cool celebration! What a cool way to take a shot at Bearhalter! I get that, um, but it's just, I don't know. Maybe this makes me in the pro Bearhalter camp. I don't know, but that's just not Bearful. how I. That's just not how I can see it. Like, hey, seriously it, though,
1: like I, I want to circle back. So when you see him volley that goal in. Do you not think what a great goal? Like, I I, is, I know we've had just the weirdest month with this. It's been yeah. so like we couldn't have predicted the, the just how bad things will get after the World Cup and all, all this stuff would break. But I still think that's a brilliant goal from of a great it is. player. That's of all I think, though. I, I like I don't associate like it's. Whatever happened, happened, um, but. I don't like. It doesn't take any any gloss off it for
2: me. Oh, it did for me. I'll really? be honest. Yeah, oh. it did for me. Like the quality of the goal, that's un that's unchanged. But I didn't like. I don't know. That could have been like the the emotion that I felt in seeing that goal scored. Like it felt to me like it could have been anybody on. It could have been Rafael Guerrero who scored that goal. Like I didn't feel okay. like like a real connection to the guy who scored it like i feel like i might have uh, before all this happened i just i don't know i'm still kind of i don't know i'm kind of just like down on him right now still wow
1: i'll tell you it just goes to show how damaging this has been when someone like you an absolute u.s men's national team fiend sees that amazing goal and it it's your perception of it is impacted because of what's gone on that's bad and like very bad
2: and with the Maybe I'm alone. I, I'm I might be in the minority. I'm willing to acknowledge that, but just just kind of still where my head is at. And like with the celebration, I don't know. Like for a player who has maturity questions kind of swirling around him, is this a good look? Mm. Like is is don't you think what Geo Reyna needs right now is for people to move past this as quickly as possible? But when you do this, you are keeping it front and center. Yep. that's what you're doing I know you think in the moment what you're doing looks cool I'm gonna look so cool when I take a shot at this guy who benched me in the World Cup I mean I know on, I saw on Twitter a lot of people thought it did look cool but you you lost me with it you just lost me like if you want to convince us that your maturity being questioned is wrong this ain't it like this is not this is not how you win people over into your side I so but maybe that's not his concern he may not care about that I'm gonna be who I am and i'm going to be good enough that i'm going to force myself into way into any team that that there is you don't have to like me i mean maybe that's his approach right now I, I don't know but i we
1: i would just love to hear from him about what happened what went down did he did he not sanction it but did he agree with it how much did he know was he consulted that's the stuff i want to know from him um
2: but don't you think when you see When you, when the first thing he does when he returns to a pitch, he scores a goal and the first thing he does is to make fun of the manager involved. Don't don't you think that he's answering that question? Like, you would love to know all that. He's, to me, that answers the question. He sanctioned all of it. He was happy for all of this to get out. Like, he doesn't care that, like, that it brought him down as well. Like, he's, he, I don't know. I feel like that question has been answered now. But
1: maybe, yeah, maybe so.
2: Um, more U.S. soccer news As Brian McBride is out As the U.S. MNT general manager Three years on the job um, You talked about this At the start of the podcast, JJ I, I always wondered What exactly is the difference Between his job and Ernie Stewart's job Is there redundancy there uh, Like a sporting director A general manager Who's doing what Especially on a team That isn't necessarily making signings Like do they need both These two guys doing these jobs So the athletic They said this of McBride Uh, His primary responsibilities included managing relationships between the federation and the clubs, the club teams of players within the pool and to, quote, oversee the development and management of the player pool. I don't know if that answers your question. Or if you never heard him say
1: anything about the job, I never heard him say, you know, did he speak? Did he do one media engagement at all?
2: I don't remember.
1: Yeah, I don't remember either. Probably, I... but I don't know. So when we were at ESPN, um, was he was he ever available to talk? And he had worked with ESPN. He had done punditry mm, yeah. and analysis. Um, but I ne- I never, I never remember. Oh, hey, he's Brian McBride is speaking, or like for me, after the unpleasantness, after the disaster, after U.S. Soccer's kind of review into what happened in Trinidad and Tobago he was drafted in as kind of, how would you put it? A Not not a sticking plaster, but to usher in a new wave of administration. But I don't know a single policy decision. I know from the dispatches surrounding Gio Reyna and that whole incident that he was contacted by the Reynas. We know that much. Mm-hmm. Other than that,
2: I can't tell you a single thing he did. I agree, which is why I essentially have no opinion of this. No. It didn't, I mean, other than like the fact that he's a U.S. soccer legend. Um, so he's a big name and now he's out of the federation. Like that, I guess, is a story. But in terms of what this actually means for the direction of U.S. soccer, my no I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know.
1: No. And um, how much did his job overlap with Ernie, Ernie Stewart's role? Yeah. Um, I, I don't get it. I, um, I don't get it because they don't know. Uh.
2: I mean, if they're just looking for essentially like a palate cleanser to all of this, to to the ugliness of what has gone on, maybe this is a sign that they're just moving on from certain figures. Um, I wouldn't be stunned if Bearhalter is the next domino to fall as that investigation continues. Um, but yeah, I don't Seeing this news. There was an initial moment of, oh, interesting. But then it was kind of like, well, my opinion is essentially unchanged of. Where we're at, I don't know. This moves I, the needle. I,
1: yeah, I immediately thought, oh, that'll mean that we don't do this or that anymore, or maybe. But well, I don't know what this or that was. Yeah. I don't know what was the content of his job. What was his day-to-day
2: responsibilities? I mean, if he was managing relations between uh, the players in the pool and their clubs, uh, I mean, I I guess he I guess, was doing a fine job. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I get I, I mean that that job is
1: okay. That's a liaison job.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I kind of. I I don't know. Um, So, yeah, there's that. Now, another interesting development occurred. We'll go back to the club level here. Juventus, JJ. uh, Boy, their their fall from grace continues, uh, this time taking a a serious blow after significant sanctions handed down against them. Um, They were found guilty of transfer uh, irregularities. They were docked 15 points, a number of figures within the club, were suspended for various lengths of time. The most notable uh, Andrea Agnelli suspended for two years and Fabio Paratici two and a half years. Um, He of course is no longer with the club. It only figures that Tottenham would find their way into this somehow. Yep. And so they have their, their director of transfers uh, is now suspended. He'll appeal this. I don't know how long I'm assuming he'll appeal this. I don't know how long that will last. It could last for, for a length of time. Um, I don't know how Tottenham's opinion of him will be impacted by the fact that he has has been implicated in this uh if they'll if they would fire him if they think actually you've done a fine job for us so we're we're good to keep you on here even with whatever this stink is that it's attached to you now for this controversy uh I mean look we're talking this is the guy who on the cheap went back into Juventus and brought back Bentancor and Kulisevsky, so he's he's done fine work uh but no he'll, I'm sure he'll be either suspended or ushered on out because because certain clubs can't have nice things, JJ. And I guess this is another example, but I don't mean to make this about Tottenham. This is terrible for Juventus. So the 15 points, basically, it's interesting because initially this was supposed to be them being docked nine points. Right. Um, I was reading Gab Marcotti had a, gr- a really great explainer on this at ESPNFC. It's essential. I highly, yeah, for anyone who's sort of like, what exactly happened here? Why, why is this going on? Read it. It's a must read. Uh, but essentially, they were going to be docked nine points. Then they got hot and then the the punishment was changed to 15 points because i think the the message needed to be sent that no you you cannot be allowed to qualify for the champions league so we're going to change the point punishment to whatever we need it to be to get you to a place where it's increasingly unlikely that you'll be able to qualify. A nine-point deduction still would have had them potentially within arm's reach. Now it moves them down to I think they're what are they eleventh in the table. They're kind of now mid-table. Not going to be relegated. It's not that kind of punishment. But for a club who is in, in dire financial straits themselves, who is desperate for Champions League football, this is this is a huge blow.
1: It is. Agnelli left. Um, he left his role as the president of Juventus last week. And as he was going, he was saying how warning, correctly, I would say, of the implications of, of the Premier League's dominance and transfers and, and and interest and TV money and everything on the rest of European football. <clears throat> and now, all those things have just been kind of washed away as it's another controversy for Juventus in a history of controversies for Juventus. I mean, this is a team we we know we know about Cal, uh, calcio Poli in uh, in the mid 2000s and then being relegated i mean it's a, it's an absolute disaster and i i mean the their losses Andrew juventus posted serie a record losses of more than 250 million last year breaking their own record for the pre- previous season of 210 million
2: unbelievable yeah
1: it's it's crazy it's how can absolute... they
2: con- you, how can they continue to function at that rate i i, I
1: don't know i really don't know and um, and and now without Champions League football, this is this is really really incredible, um, and and what they did essentially was was cooking the books, uh. So basically, engineering transfers usually swap deals where little or no money changed hands, but the club drew an accounting benefit on paper. So I, mean, I I do not know what happens here, but um. I, I mean, Gab lays, Gab kind of lays it out in the piece, um, about about you know the essentially fraudulent activity that's been alleged. It was adjudicated on before by the courts, but then they reopened it. Right, um, they were cleared initially. They were. There were them and eight other clubs: Genoa, Sampdoria, Empoli, uh, Ovile, Novara, Pescara, Parma, and Pisa were charged and ultimately cleared. Um. So they, But the prosecutors successfully agreed to reopen the case because they say new evidence uh, emerged. So um, Juventus thought they were home and hosed. They got away with it, but clearly not the case now anymore. And, I mean, this could be dire for them. Absolutely dire on top of the bad situation they're in already. And you can see now why the Agnellis were so desperate to make the Super League happen and how they essentially haven't abandoned that. And I guess that's their Hail Mary, Andrew the ongoing court case surrounding like whether the super league can exist whether it's it's something that they're allowed to go and do whether uefa are right to 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 be able to control that or um that's the Hail mary for them right now uh incre- it's absolutely incredible that we've got to this point
2: yeah it's uh it's a really bleak picture for them um undoubtedly especially as you know other clubs seem to be rising in that league and at least for the time being Napoli um at the top of the list so yeah it's not it's not good right now for Juventus um finally JJ to close out it's a Monday morning we've got the whole week ahead of us there's a lot of soccer going on this week I'm wondering uh, about the things that you're you're most looking forward to this
1: week. well I'm looking forward to our our next broadcast as always being oh. with you Andrew is it's the highlight of the week um we got some FA Cup action that could be pretty good
2: we get well, yeah, to... I mean this Friday it's Arsenal and Manchester City, yeah, in the FA Cup. That
1: I mean that's that's got to be the one you're you're looking at, and uh not for uh, me. The...
2: What's that? Not for me. No, what are you looking for? We got Carabell Cup semis. That's on true. Tuesday and Wednesday, and it's interesting because I feel like the the teams involved in these semifinals, if you look at it, um you've got Southampton and Newcastle on Tuesday, Nottingham Forest and Manchester United on Wednesday. You know, there's no, there's no Chelsea there. There's no Manchester City there who have had a stranglehold on this cup competition for, uh, for a generation. Um, so I feel like we've we've reached four clubs who, no matter who goes on and wins this thing, it's going to be a fascinating team to be raising a trophy. Even a club like Manchester United, where you know you don't necessarily think that them winning a league cup is a, a huge deal, but to start. You know, for, for the, the first available trophy to Eric Ten Hag, for him to go out and win it, I think that would be a huge statement right out of the gate for for this new project of Manchester United. And then, look, obviously the other ones. I mean, Southampton might be going down. For them to get a trophy in this mm. season would be huge for them. For, you know, Nottingham Forest, um, you know, they even though their goal differential is a disaster, they've managed to rise to be a mid-table team. What an incredible achievement would be for their first season back in the Premier League to come away with a trophy. And then there's Newcastle. You know, I think a lot of us had said that this project, you know, while we knew it was going to bear fruit for them, we all feel that it's doing so quicker than imagined. And if if they get a trophy right out of the gate this early on in the project, I think, again, it would be another statement of intent that they, you know, so no matter what, no matter who goes on to win this, I think it's, it's a fascinating uh, champion that we're going to have. So we'll start to see how it's going to play out this week. Yeah. And I think when Newcastle
1: just, just that was the big thing that they haven't won a trophy in, I mean what a century (laughs) you know so so that's like that's always been the thing they they came so close winning the premier league in the mid-90s um for them to like you said to get off to such a flyer um and and have a trophy and possibly a top four finish this season would just be absolutely stunning for them yeah um yeah maybe you're right maybe those semifinals are the the tasty treat this uh this week interesting stuff
2: yeah um so there you go that's all i got
1: That's all I got, Andrew. Um, I'd like to congratulate you um, for your win uh, the other night. Thank you. The Eagles, I assume you're talking about? Well, not Tottenham, but yeah. No, Tottenham plays later today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Um, I was hoping for an exciting game at the very least. It did not happen, but um, I can't, I was just, I was just so pumped for the game. And it's one of those, American football can do that to you. It was one of those games where very, very quickly you
2: realized
1: it's not going to be your night.
2: No, that almost, that almost didn't feel like a fair fight. That was, that was a, that was a smashing. That was, that was a beatdown. And I, I know I, we got to, we got to run. So I feel bad bringing this up now, which could be like a show unto itself. But our oh. mutual friend, JJ, uh, Peter Rosenberg, he texted me at the end of the game and he said that it was one of those beatings to him, who, who a neutral fan in this. Um, he said it was one of those beatings where he he thinks the Giants would have been better off not making the playoffs at all. I I saw him. He tweeted
1: that as well. Yeah. But that to me, that is what is the point.
2: I wrote back to him. I said, "I said you're wrong. I wholeheartedly disagree." Oh, oh, oh,
1: I think he's completely wrong.
2: If they, if this had happened in the wild card round, then like maybe I could see it. Like I know we've talked before, JJ, on this show about Brazil's beatdown at the hands of Germany back in 2014. That yes. maybe, maybe, maybe Brazil would have been better off just losing normally. To Columbia in the round before rather than getting the joy of that win, but then going down and and having a historic beating that will be that will define them. Um, Maybe they should have just lost normally in the round before. But to say like the Giants, they reached the playoffs in a year where they weren't supposed to. And then they won a playoff game. Yeah. Like these I, are not small things for a team that has, and I'm not trying to talk trash about them or anything, like literally statistically, have been one of the three worst teams in football over the last five years. Yeah. Like, if you go and win a playoff game this year, like it's proof that okay, this new head coach we have, it's working. Like, but but if you miss the playoffs altogether, it's just another year of wondering, like, are we going in the right direction? Like, but well, also yeah,
1: the- also sports, like you don't the outcomes aren't guaranteed. You always walk into it with the chance of getting pummeled. that is what you accept as sports. The idea that you would forego that just to avoid the possibility of embarrassment is crazy. It's cowardly,
2: and also and you're a giant fan, like how will you look back on this season? fantastic season right that's what I
1: would think. yeah, we completely we surprised ourselves um it was tremendously fun to beat the Vikings last Sunday, yeah or Saturday, rather. it was tremendous fun. At uh, last, you know, the game against the Eagles wasn't good, but like we know who the Eagles are now. In my view, they're favorites for the Super Bowl right now. That's my opinion. Um,
2: yeah. And look, the Giants played them earlier in week 14, and, and the same thing happened in MetLife. Right. The Eagles d- destroyed them. So that was always a possibility that, that there's a huge talent gap between the two teams. Like it was always possible that this was going to be the outcome. I right, think Giant great. fans were just surprised because they had like talked themselves up into such a frenzy with how they had been playing lately, and the Eagles hadn't really been playing their best football over the last month. So I think Giant fans went into it really, almost surprisingly confident. Um, I but anyway, so. this this could but, all be another podcast, well, I suppose. It is, but
1: it's a, it's a great argument for sport, uh, yeah. not just football. Like, di- like, does that kind of an embarrassment make you wish you never got there? For
2: me, absolutely not. Yeah, I would. I, I think I agree. In this case, I definitively agree. The Brazil yeah. one, I, I go back and forth on. No, I I would say about Brazil, that was
1: such a humiliation that, and, and I would, we must say, there is no normal way for Brazil to lose. Brazil losing in a World Cup is a disaster, right? Um, So there's no normal way to do it, but that was a humiliation beyond humiliations. It wasn't just that they lost 2-0. They
2: they they collapsed. They conceded seven goals. Oh, that would have been the disastrous way for Panama to lose. <laughs> like that. That's not like it I was mean, a that... humiliation
1: on the biggest mo on, on the on their biggest moment of the of that tournament so far on in, home in, soil on home soil. So yeah. yeah, that's not the same thing.
2: Okay, we got to get out. All right, all right. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say check you later, fun boy. See ya. Have a good week. Yeah, you too. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.
0: Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh.